Hey everybody, it's Michael Tucker with the Real Estate Success Strategies Podcast. I'm so excited, like I am every week, because today we have another power player on with us. And if you're here streaming live with us on Facebook, welcome. I'm so pumped. Today we have Tim Bratz on with us. Tim, how's it going, man? Awesome, man. Appreciate you having me. Excited to be here. Anytime. Hey, listen, I've been following you for a while now. Listen to your, listen to your podcast. Different people have been hosting with you. And um, guys, I'm very excited because today we don't get podcasts like this often. Uh, I feel like Tim is super genuine. Um, this guy is authentic and he um, is a power player as well. If you don't know who Tim is, I'll let him talk a little bit about himself in just a second, but just a quick overview. Um, he's been able to go from flipping residential houses to now owning, I, now correct me if I'm wrong, over 4,000 apartment units and over $300 million in assets in your portfolio. Is that right? That's it, man. 4,288 units as I sit here today with you. Wow. And growing. So <laughs> it's, that's an amazing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's cool because my story, I feel like relates um, to yours. You know, I was listening to some podcasts, like I said, about your story and, um, you know, just your story of, you know, buying your first rental or your first investment property with, you know, a credit card. You know, that was me. So, you know, I kind of relate on that level and just, and I'm very interested in how you found some success in real estate, but then shifted a little bit to the network marketing side. I, I remember hearing a little bit about that and, you know, and then you had to find your way again in real estate, but dude, let's, let's give the audience about a little overview about who you are and uh, what you do currently. I'll let you take that away. Yeah, man. Well, again, thanks for thanks for having me. Excited to be here, and uh, you know, if I can share some knowledge, I'm uh, happy to do that. So, uh, and th- dude, thanks for putting value out there for people. I, I I'm a big believer that just dude, information and wealth is like it's limitless. You know, like there's no you're gonna get more by helping people and teaching people and educating people on this stuff um, than it's ever gonna hurt you. So it's uh it's awesome what you're doing. So uh yeah man I mean my, my background is I'm a I'm a kid from Cleveland, Ohio, born blue collar suburbs. My dad was a cop, mom was a stay-at-home mom, had a teaching degree. And um you know, went to school, told to get good grades, get a good job, um all that kind of stuff. And so uh went to college and when I was going through college 03 to 07, I I realized like I was very money motivated, right? And I think some people shy away from that, but I, I kind of lean into it. Like I was, I want to make a bunch of money, right? I was a 20 year old kid. I wanted all this. Right. Stuff. And so, uh, you know, this is Oh five, 2005. I was like a, a sophomore in college. And, uh, I remember like just the market, the real estate market was going gangbusters and all these people were making all this money in real estate. And, you know, the, the, at the, uh, um, job fairs, like these, these real estate developers and builders and stuff were coming in. And I was like, man, I like, I want to do that. So, you know, I started a painting company in the summertime and, and I had a, uh, uh, an internship with a big home builder. And then when I graduated from college in 2007, my brother invited me out to live with him in New York city. So I moved out to New York and I thought you got involved as a real estate investor by becoming a real estate agent, got my real estate license, started brokering commercial real estate. So for some reason I went with a commercial broker instead of a residential. And I, I just did leasing for like retail spaces and offices. And, uh, you know, just, you know, took this little 400 square foot space. It was a little dumpy, you know, uh, listing kind of bottom of the barrel type listing. And, um, took me like eight months to sign a lease on it and got a, a, a food, like a restaurant to come in and rent 400 square feet for $10,000 a month. Dang, man. Uh, yeah, man. You do, like, start doing the math on it. It was a 12 year lease term. It was 4% annual escalations. And, I see the landlords making almost 2 million bucks over the next 12 years for doing something once. And I'm like, dude, 
residual income. That's where I need to be, right? I'm on the wrong side of the coin. So I stopped brokering. I moved down to Charleston, South Carolina, just for better quality of life kind of a thing in 2008. And I went through, you know, the analysis paralysis that I think a lot of people go through. Like I got to learn everything before I do anything and uh, spent several months doing that. And then just realized, dude, you're going to learn how to swim by jumping in the water, not by reading about swimming in a book. And so right. I jumped in and uh, just started making some offers on properties and uh, early 2009 and ended up locking down the cheapest. This is like after the market collapsed, right? Uh, so everybody's running away from real estate. All these REO um, bank owned properties are popping up and everybody's like, no chance, get away from real estate. Everybody's losing their uh, entire net worth. And uh, uh, you know, I'm some naive kid showing up. I'm like, um, this house is cheap. How could it not make money? I can rent it for $500 each side and I could buy it for 20 grand and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, it, it makes sense. I went, Why aren't other people buying this stuff? And so I just found this cheap house, didn't have any money. Nobody's lending me money. I've never done a deal before. I'm a punk 23 year old kid, worst housing recession ever. And uh, so I got MasterCard to give you the money. And I just wrote myself a balance transfer check and uh, bought the house on a credit card, physically did all the work myself, painting, flooring, fixtures, and um, landscaping, held an open house. And got one of the neighbors to come in and buy it for thirty three grand. I was into it for about nineteen thousand dollars, and uh, so I netted about thirteen fourteen thousand dollars after closing costs. And I just I was like hooked, right? So let's go do it again. Let's go do it again. And um, you know, built up a small portfolio of about ten units, including my own house that I was house hacking. I had a couple of buddies living with me, um, and then a nine nine single family rentals. And, uh, and you know, that portfolio, I wasn't rich, but I was financially free. I had more residual income coming in than I had monthly expenses and it covered all my operating expenses, all my debt service, and then my, all my personal expenses and left me with a few hundred bucks a month of just kind of going out money. And so again, I wasn't rich, but I was essentially financially free at the age of 25. And I was like, dude, I got this figured out, man. So then I started looking for <laughs> for all these, all these other shiny objects that I can go chase. I think I'm some entrepreneurial wizard. You know, I, I buy a Mercedes and I join the private club and, um, I'm, I'm blowing money, you know, out at, uh, at restaurants and, and stuff. And, um, and so somebody invites me out to this home meeting. I go out to this home meeting. It was a network marketing company. Um, and it, it, it actually aligned really well with real estate. It had to do with like home services. So it was like TV and internet and, um, electricity, natural gas, like that kind of stuff. And I was like, dude, I own a bunch of rental property. I know a bunch of people in real estate. I could probably make a bunch of residual income on other people's bills by joining this company. And so I joined and uh, really, like, I love the personal development side of things. I really met amazing entrepreneurs in town and um, made a couple bucks pretty quickly and just kind of got sold out. Like I drank the juice on this thing. And um, started, started just driving all over. I ended up selling my real estate, nine of my properties. Oh, and, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I only kept my, uh, my primary residence. And so I sold those properties and I was like, did you sell those for a profit? Yeah, I actually seller financed them. I, I did like a wraparound mortgage cause they would just, again, nobody was getting financing. Nobody could raise private money. And so I, I did like a, uh, I left my financing in place and I did like, it's what's called an installment contract for deed. It's kind of like a right. car loan, right? Or you don't get, actually get the title. The buyer doesn't get the title until they pay you off in full. So I had, the, I had them in my name still, but I didn't have any responsibility, liability, or I mean, technically, I, I guess I had a little bit of liability, but uh, they were managing it and all that stuff. And I couldn't, 
make any more money other than what the purchase price was that they bought it for me. So anyways, I uh, um, sold the property for two years. I'm just like driving all over God's green earth, doing these friggin' home meetings and talking to people, pitching them on, on uh, network marketing. You know, and eventually I realized that like all the money's made by recruiting and none of it was made in residuals on these services. And so, um, you know, I, and dude, I was, I was like in the top 1% of performers in this entire company. I was making no money, like 25 grand, 30 grand a year. Um, no, it was like 25 grand a year. And for two and a half years, I did that and uh, found myself at the in August of 2012. So I'm 27 years old at that time, just like completely broke, right? Like I have 25 grand in credit card debt. I have 80 bucks in my bank account. Um, uh, I, I'm literally, dude, I was like selling my, my side tables on Craigslist to try to well, have, well, let's, know. let's tell people from what I've heard in the past, like some of the things you were doing just to keep money in your pocket. Like I remember in one podcast I was listening to, you said you would go to these network marketing events and you were sleeping in your car. Is that right? Or your truck or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And you would, you'd use the hotel bathroom and stuff, man, that's crazy how, you know, you were, you had this dream and you were going after it. A lot of people would have just quit, but you kept going, man. And you know, maybe that didn't work out, you know, but you know, look yeah. where you're at today. Yeah. I, I think it, um, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, Oh, I wish I would have never done that. that. Not really, dude. I learned how to public speak from being in that. I met, Dude, I own over 2,500 apartments with people that I met in that, in that group. Dude, people who, who got in and jumped out like immediately, they're like, I'm not doing right. this. Um, and I'm, not, I'm not saying anything bad about like network marketing. Just that company was not a good fit. Right. Um, if you like going out and just recruiting, you can go and make good money in that company. Um, there's not a lot of margin in the services that they were selling though. So you couldn't really make a true residual on it. Um, but I think network marketing is amazing from like a personal development standpoint, the people that you meet are very entrepreneurial. And um, I think it's a good stepping stone to really understand uh, the basics of, of entrepreneurship. Right. And so um, I made, again, I made amazing contacts. My best friends actually came from that network marketing company. But eventually I, I uh, found myself, dude, like, you know, I'm traveling to cities multiple, um, I don't know, five, six hours away. And I didn't have enough money to pay for a hotel room. So I just slept in the backseat of my car and I'd, I'd sneak in at like five o'clock in the morning into the hotel lobby and I'd shave and get myself cleaned up before everybody would come in for like the morning meeting. And then I do the meeting and then I drive back to Charleston where I was living at the time. So, you know, going through all this and, and I'm sitting there on my bed in 2000. August of 2012, just like crying, right? I'm not a crier, but I was crying because I'm like, I had this figured out two years ago. What the hell happened? What, what went wrong? And uh, I was borrowing, I had to borrow money to make the minimum payment on my credit card. I had to borrow money to make the mortgage payment on my house. And uh, I was like, I'm going back to real estate, right? Real estate made sense for me. Real estate worked. And what saved me from that position was I had sold my house in Charleston. Real estate saved my ass again. Um, Sold my house in Charleston, moved back to Cleveland, Ohio in 2012. And a couple of guys that were in that um, network marketing company hit me up. They're like, dude, we got into this business. So that way we have money to buy real estate. How about you do the work and we put up the money and, um, and we'll, we'll collaborate and we'll split the equity up. So partnered up with those guys at the end of 2012 and uh, we put up a few hundred thousand dollars. I was buying cheap single family flips, uh, nicer single family flips, like kind of that 250 range. Right. Uh, you know, buying single family houses in Cleveland, dude, again, this is bottom of the market. So I could buy, I could buy a single family house. It was in the hood, but I bought a single family house that was rented for $600 a month 
and I bought it for $6,500. Dang, man. <laughs> I bought a triplex three doors down from that, and uh, it was totally vacant, but I bought it for fourteen grand. I put five grand into it, and it's slumlord days of Tim Bratz, right? right. And um, just put lipstick on the pig, made it occupiable, and got it fully rented out. Dude, the thing was was making it was around two thousand dollars a month in rents coming in from this from this house I was into for twenty grand. You know, like the the gross income from some of these houses was more than what I was buying it for. Um, so, anyways, I I got into that and I realized I liked buying rental properties because if I didn't flip it. Um, I didn't have to worry about it because I still had this great cash flow coming in. And if I did flip it, I could make just as much margin as I did on like these retail flips, uh, like the HGTV stuff. So I ended up just focusing on the rentals. And then I fell into like this eight unit apartment building, uh, bought this eight unit. And I just love the scale that it, that it allowed me to go to one location instead of eight locations, talk to one seller instead of eight sellers, uh, look at one roof instead of eight roofs, get financing on one deal instead of eight deals. And it just, collect rent, meet contractors, like all those different kinds of things at one location versus eight. And so the scale made a lot of sense to me. And after that first year of that partnership, I ended up, um, you know, just, just selling everything else and just focusing on the apartments. That partnership was cool until kind of life happened. And um, I became more valuable and the guys with the money became less valuable because more and more people, um, they wanted to bring less money to the deal, but they wanted more equity. And there was just, there was a lot of moving parts and that partnership ended up folding and we ended up liquidating everything in 2015 and 2016. So there I am pressing the reset button again. Right. And, um, uh, I'm like, damn it. I just worked my ass off for the past three years on this, on this business. And I got to do it all over again, start all over again. But it was really a, a, an awesome, just kind of set up for, for something better. And uh, all of a sudden, these people came out of the woodwork saying, hey, Tim, I want to do deals with you, but you had that exclusive partnership. And they started, I started raising private money. I joined a master. How did they, how did they know that you started, you know, you kind of started fresh? Was that something that you went out there and was telling people about? Or they just yeah. heard from yeah. around? Yeah, you know, hey, around. I'm liquidating some stuff. And all of a sudden, I was reaching out to the people I had in my network because I'm like, hey, I'm selling these properties. They're like, why? Why are you selling it? Well, partnership kind of went south. You know, we're just going in our d- different directions. Like, well, what else you got going on? Blah, blah, blah. And so I ended up getting into wholesaling. I ended up getting into like a turnkey type of a business because I needed to figure out a way to like generate some cash uh, while we were selling this portfolio. So um, I flipped over 100 houses actually in 2015. Um, 2016, built up a big management company in Cleveland. Um, and when I say I built it up, like that sounds like it was awesome from the start. No, like I, I built it. It sucked. I fired everybody after like six months. I hired all new people. I was such a shitty manager. I had to fire everybody again three months later. Like, so I kept on going through these phases of, of the management was really, really tough. And we had to, um, a lot of ideas that were good theoretically, but weren't very practical in, in application. So, um, you know, it just, just uh, went through the learning curves, man, but got really good at management. And then as I was liquidating my portfolio, I started buying new stuff on my own. And um, was able to kind of get another few hundred units under my under my belt by 2017. And in uh, in 2017, I remember just sitting back on vacation, dude, and being like, looking at my net worth, looking at my life, and looking at where I was spending my time. I just had my second kid, and uh, I'm like, dude, 90% of my net worth comes from my apartments. It's only 10% of the time that I'm actually putting it in my days. Right. Like, can you what 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 would happen if I just pivoted all my resources to just buying apartment buildings? And again, I had a few hundred units, three, 400 units or something like that at the time. And I just like, that was in, I think it was in August of 2017. 
And I just like drew a line in the sand, came back. We pivoted hard. We stopped flipping single family turnkey houses. I, I put the management company up for sale and we just went to work on, um, I'm building up our own portfolio. And so 2018, I picked up about a thousand doors. 2019, about 2,000 doors. And in 2020, despite COVID, we still bought another thousand units. So I'm up to 4,300 units. We flipped a lot of stuff. We wholesaled a lot of apartment buildings and stuff too during that time frame. So we transacted a lot more, but in my current portfolio, I got um, right around 4,300 doors. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think, currently, uh, I think 11 or 12 different states. Hey, so you're not just focusing. It's very interesting because a lot, a lot of people are like, "Oh, I just focus on you know two, three markets." But do you think it's be- because of your model that you're able to do that many stays, or is it just yeah. just something yeah. else you aren't if, talking it, about? If I was starting out, I'd, I'd go deep in in like one one or two markets. Um, the way that I've kind of built my business over the past few years has been a lot through social media. Like like we got connected on social media and. Um, I just started talking about doing deals. I talked about how I structured this deal and how I, what the numbers look like on that deal. And I do a Facebook live as I'm walking around one of the properties and talking about what we're doing. Just again, just trying to help other people and uh, expedite that process. And what naturally happened, man, as I'm sure it happens to you is like people reach out and they're like, dude, can I buy deals from you? Can I sell deals to you? Can I invest with you? Can we partner? Can we joint venture? Um, you know, or do you coach? Do you consult? Cause there's stuff that we can do together. And, um, uh, and so that turned into a little bit of like an education business. So I have something called Commercial Empire where I teach people how to kind of scale up in apartments. And that has drawn a lot of active operators who are great in the single family game who are trying to level up into more buy and holds. And, um, and they bring deals, right? And so they bring deals and I can bring money. I can bring the financing. I can sponsor the loans and, and mentor and coach on that. And uh, they find the deal. They operate the deal. They they handle the boots on the ground side of things. Do they get part and, of equity usually. I'm sorry. Do they get part of the equity usually? Yeah. Or yeah. And uh, and so they're able to get into deals that they couldn't have gotten into. I'm able to get into deals that I wouldn't have gotten into. Um, and again, rising tide floats all boats, kind of a thing. And I think that's that's the main reason of why I'm in. Oklahoma and Texas and Louisiana and uh, Alabama. Like I've never even been to Louisiana. I own, I don't even know, 400 units there, you know? Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, I got stuff in Illinois. I've, I've never visited Springfield, Illinois, and I own 265 units in Springfield, you know? And then we also have stuff in Cleveland. And then I have a majority of my portfolios in South Carolina and Georgia though. Right. So how'd you go, you know, what was the point at which you felt like, all right. You, you said you were sitting on, you know, vacation here and you're like, we're going to pour all this resources into this business. You know, was it ex- exponential growth right from there? Or was there a lot of bumps along the way? I'm sure there was, but if so, yeah. what were those bumps? Well, I, I will say this though, man, when you like draw a line in the sand and you make a declaration to the universe, the universe responds. And when I came back and I was like, dude, we're not buying any more single family houses. I told my acquisitions guy, I said, only look for apartments like what you focus on expands. Like I, I, I just bought a Wrangler. Like I'm not, I used to be a car guy, like before I, uh, all that stuff. And I used to own a Mercedes and I just, I don't know if I just am anti, Oh, I still have a Mercedes for my wife, but for me, I'm just more of a Wrangler guy. Right. So I just got a brand new Wrangler and, um, it's like any, any new car that you get when you're driving around, all of a sudden that's the only car that you see on the road, right? You see them over and over and over again. And it's what you focus on expands. And so, um, that's kind of what happened when we pivoted over to multifamily. My, my uh, 
uh, uh, acquisitions guy, he would look at single family, look at some apartments. But when he's like, when he just threw away all the single family and he just kept on asking people uh, to, to wholesale him and send him and brokers and everybody else, all the different connections and resources and vendors that we have, uh, he just kept on asking over and over and over again for apartments. Guess what? Apartments showed up. And so he was able to then sift through those cherry pick the ones that we wanted uh, to hold. We bought those and kept those other ones were not good fits um, for us necessarily because of maybe the area or how much work it needed. So maybe we'd wholesale those off or we'd flip those uh, with the intent of not holding those long-term. And uh, you know, it just kind of allowed us to focus on that. And um, it, it, there weren't hundred unit deals that fell in our lap immediately, but eventually we picked up a 20 unit. Then we picked up another 24 unit. Then we flipped an 18 unit. Then all of a sudden, a 48 unit came across our desk. Then all of a sudden, the portfolio 74 doors came across. And then all of a sudden, it just like kept on growing. And then a student brought a 200 unit. And then it just like, dude, it just uh, uh, snowballed, you know. And um, and I think a lot of people want to get rich quick in apartments, but or or real estate altogether. But like, dude, you got to have a three year vision minimum, right? Like the first year is just planting the seeds and letting people know what you got going on. The second year, you're, you're starting to build up a little bit of momentum, trying to figure this thing out a little bit. And then really the third year is when you're taking down bigger deals. You built up the balance sheet. You built up your net worth. You built up your liquidity and your private money partners and your broker contacts and your off-market deal flow. And like all that stuff really starts hitting stride in, in year three, year four, year five. So I know everybody wants to get rich quick because we live in this instant success society, but, um, dude, this is not, it's not get rich quick. It's, it's build real wealth over a season of your life. And if you think five years is a long time to create legacy wealth that to change your financial, your family's financial tree forever, dude, it's a drop in the bucket. You know, what's really hard. Not that what's really hard is working for somebody else for 40 years in order to try to retire on less money than you couldn't already live off of. Right. Like that's hard. Not, not, you know, working your ass off for five years in the, in the real estate world and collecting up a portfolio. No, man, that's, that's so true. And I had a question for you as you were talking about this. You, you talked about being money driven at the beginning, right? Whenever you first started out, has that been still a factor or what have you been driven by? I know this is a little deep, but what have you been driven by the past, you know, a few years? Are you, has you been growing in this space? Has it been driven by money or is there some kind of other driving factor behind what you do? Yeah, I think I think money is a big driving factor when you don't have any, you know, um, especially when you're trying to figure out how to put a roof, roof over your head or clothes on your back or move to a safe neighborhood or put food on the table for your family. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a big student of personal development and success and personal finance and happiness. Um, and I remember watching a, uh, uh, a documentary on happiness once. And it's like, listen, once your basic needs are met, meaning food shelter, clothing, once those basic needs are met, most households, depending on the city that you live in, is probably fifty to $75,000 a year. Um, gets you in a pretty decent neighborhood, um, gets you food on the table, right? You're not eating steak every night, but you can have a, a good, safe state, you know, at least basic needs are met. They said it doesn't matter if you make 50000 a year or $50 million a year, the happiness factor does not change at all. That was pretty fascinating to me. It kind of like hit me as I was growing my port. I, I read that in 2000, probably 2014, or I watched that documentary in about 2014. So it was right as I'm like starting to make some money. 2014 is the first year I ever made six figures. And, um, and I'm like, okay, well, 
it's not about the money, then what is it about? And so, you know, I, listen, dude, I, I love nice vacations, right? I love flying first class. I love, uh, I have a beach house. I, I'm, I'm coming to you from my beach house in Charleston, South Carolina right now. And i um, looking at buying a mountain house and all sorts of different things. So like, I like that stuff, but the money it's, it's, I get more fulfillment by watching my net worth increase than by buying materialistic things. If I buy material things, it's houses, right? It's like more vacation homes and things like that. Right. Um, it's not really like, I like watches, but it's hard for me to spend more than a few grand on a watch. Um, I like cars, but I'm a shitty driver, right? I'd rather, I'd rather bang up the tires on my Wrangler than tires on a Bentley, you know, um, or an Aston Martin. And so like, I just, I don't want to do that. And I would be super pissed if I hit a curb in my, in an Aston Martin. And all of a sudden I got a $15,000, you know, bill in order to fix the side of it. So anyways, I just, I, I know me and I understand like what fulfills me. Um, once I got past the money thing and I knew that everything was good there, really, dude, as tacky as it sounds, I just love helping other people. Like my mom was big into teaching and big into the education system. My dad ran the, uh, um, uh, the academy, which taught a whole bunch of police officers coming into the city of Cleveland for, I don't know, a decade. And so like I come from kind of like an educator type family. And um, that's always been like a big Thing that I just like to do. I love teaching. I love coaching. I love mentoring. Um, I like helping people see themselves as more than how they can see themselves without me being there, you know, and um, letting them know there's more to life than whatever they're going went through right, right then and there. So like, that's a big driving factor, helping other people and really just kind of like impact, you know, I have, um, uh, that was like a big thing once I had kids. And when I like, when I had kids and I was big in personal development, I'm like, man, why aren't there personal development books for kids? And so, um, yeah, well, let's jump into that, man. Cause actually yeah. I was give you a plug at the very end, but you're doing some really cool stuff for, um, you know, you got some children's books out, children's programs coming out. Tell us a little bit. Is it, what is it? Uh, little legacy it, library. Yeah. So give yeah. us a rundown about what that is. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm on a flight back from in, in 2017. Um, from uh, from a real estate conference, and I'm reading The Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz, and I'm like, damn it, I'm, I was 31 years old, I think, at the time, and uh, I had a two-year-old daughter at home. I'm like, God, these principles are so good. I'm getting this at 31, right? Like, I've been in personal development since my early 20s, but um, I was like, I'm learning something new. I was like, and and for us, a lot of times, for most people, dude, they're they're educated and they're programmed a certain way as they grow, and then they have to reprogram themselves in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, to think a different way, to think not go to a nine to five job, but to be an entrepreneur and uh, think outside the box and, and take command of your own life. And uh, I'm like, dude, what if you didn't have to reprogram? What if you just were programmed the right way from the beginning? You know, that's, that's why there's dynasties out there. That's why there's legacies of families that have just, dude, they, they just get bigger and bigger and bigger with each generation is because they don't pass down the estate. I mean, maybe that helps, but really they pass down the mindset of mm -hmm. how to do this stuff. And that's true legacy. And I remember looking it up, uh, getting off that flight and looking up personal development books for kids and toddlers, uh, specifically for my, my two-year-old daughter. And there wasn't anything out there. There was, there was stuff on you know, how to how to be nice to people and live by the golden rule and how to work hard maybe a couple of money management type books but nothing on uh, setting goals nothing on sacrificing things you care about 
for things you care more about, right? Nothing about um, what you can conceive and believe you can achieve or how to win friends and influence people or, you know, the richest man in Babylon or magic of thinking big or power of positive thinking or anything like that. And so I got off that and I was like, that's it. This is, this is my, this is my idea, right? Like this is going to be the hundred million dollar idea. I'm going to go and launch some kids books, personal development books for kids. And I sat on it for like a year and a half. I didn't do anything. And it wasn't until what end of 2018, I was on a vacation again with some family friends and uh, one of my best female friends from high school and my wife um, kind of raised their hand and said, Hey, we'll write the books. If you're too busy building your business, Tim. And so I, I brought them on as partners. They've been authoring the books and we've come out with two books so far. We have another two that are coming out um, in the next few months here. And so they're based off of the classic personal development, you know, uh, the classics. And so the first one's off of Think, Think and Grow Rich. It's called Think Big and Go to Baseball Camp. And then there's um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. We, we wrote How to Win Class President and Influence Peers. And uh, the next one, you know, off of Richest Man in Babylon is called The Richest Kid in the Neighborhood. Um, and we got a couple other ones that are in the pipeline too. So, uh, dude, we're super proud of them. They're awesome books. They're like really, really powerful. I have adult friends of mine who are like reading them. They're like, dude, don't tell anybody, but I got a lot out of this. Like that was really good, you know? And, uh, and, and dude, I get messages from my entrepreneur friends, like showing their kids, setting their goals and starting new businesses, essentially, you know, with the impetus from this book. And, uh, uh, it's really, really cool, really impactful. And that's kind of like the impact piece that I'm, that I'm working on now. So we're still so building up the real estate information about this stuff. Yeah. Little legacy library.com. Little, I'm going to put little, this in the legacy library.com. You guys can go check that out. Cause man, this is that's powerful, man. And I love it. You talked about true legacy is leaving a mindset behind for those you love, you know, passing that mindset down and, Dude, like that's that's a whole never co- another conversation in itself, <laughs> right there, for sure. for sure. And and dude, when you become a parent, you like it's it's a lot less about you, right? Now it's more about how do you set your kids up, but also not spoil them and not you know I, I, nobody wants their kid to be like the the rich the rich kid asshole at school, you know. So um, how do you how do you make sure they're genuinely good people and still give them the right mindset to go out and do this stuff on their own, like? Dude, I know that I, I've succeeded and made it if my kids come to me and they're like, Dad, I don't want any of your money. I don't want any of your property. You know why? Because I know how to do it myself. Like, it just gave me the chills, right? Because I yeah. know that I've, I've done my job of, of not giving them a fish, but teaching them how to fish. That's awesome, man. Love it. Well, you guys go check out littlelegacylibrary.com if you have kids. Great resource for you guys to pass on that legacy mindset. Well, Tim, let's talk a little bit about as we end this show out. I know you're a pretty busy guy, but let's talk about your goals, man, because right now you're sitting at 40, 42 something odd number units, right? 4,200 units. And then you got $300 million worth of assets or more growing. You know, what's the goal for you guys? Are you going to try to hit that billion mark or what's that look like? Yeah, man. So right now we're in kind of a a process of taking a step back. Uh, we're selling some of the properties, like our smaller properties and more of like the C-class type properties that we have in our portfolio. So we're going to sell um, about a third of my portfolio is kind of what I'm thinking and um, kind of sell those, pay the investors amazing returns. We're going to put a bunch of money in our own pockets. And then the next step is just going big, right? I'm going to have this, this, uh, um, essentially like a, like a deck of properties and deals that we did dozens of properties over and over and over again, all the successes, all the returns, uh, made money on all of them, 
bought them all pre-COVID at the peak, sold them post-COVID, made a ton of money. And, uh, and on all that, it's going to allow us to go and raise hundreds of millions of dollars from you know, private equity and family offices and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the, the idea. And I'll, I'm going to put my own fund together as well. Um, and so that's going to allow us to go and buy a billion dollars of property. So uh, although I might sell maybe 1,500, maybe even 2,000 doors this year, uh, our goal is to buy 4,000 doors. So I think we could be somewhere in the ballpark of 6,000 doors by the end of the year. And then if I buy another 4,000 uh, next year, that'll put me right around the billion dollar portfolio value. Um, and that's kind of like my short-term goal, right? Like I, I used to have long-term goals, 10, 20, 30 years out. And, uh, I, I just found that things change so quickly and so rapidly that it doesn't even make sense to spend time on that. So I set like 36 month goals. And, um, and as I get closer and closer and goals, goals are like living things, right? They're change every single day, every month based on opportunities or things that you realize about life that you just, Hey, I don't like doing that anymore. I'm not going to do that. I'm not, that's not really a goal. It's not really important to me or you have kids or you move or you check some boxes and, um, you realize it's not about the the stuff, you know? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, a billion dollar portfolio is, is really just kind of like an ego thing trying to get there. Uh, I know that I, I'll keep going. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know that I can't get there unless I help another, other people right. get there too. So like the way that my model is built, it's like, I helped a lot of people make a lot of money if I'm able to build a billion dollar portfolio. So what's your team look like, man? I'm very interested. Um, you're, you have to have a pretty complex team. And I, I wanted to kind of ask this on the, the side of finding off market, because a lot of people, they talk about, you have to, you know, you have to be with the brokers, right? The right brokers will be your right deals. I'm sure you use brokers and things like that, but if I'm not mistaken, you found a lot of your deals off market. So what's your team look like to be bringing in this many apartment deals? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good question. Um, I don't have that big of a team. There's, um, again, the, the way that I've kind of like structured the deal flow is just cause I get active on social media, you know? So, and anybody can do this. Anybody could, you know, uh, have a podcast, uh, open a meetup group locally, um, start their own, you know, local mastermind, um, share on different social media platforms and just, you'll naturally get deal flow that comes from it. So that has turned into like an education platform and I have um, a couple of videographers and uh, essentially a marketing director for the education side and, and a, a customer service um, kind of person as well, customer service manager. So I have like four people who work on the education side. And then uh, my investment team is me. I have a, a COO, Matt Carlin. He's my chief operating officer. He, he operates everything. Everybody reports to him on the operational side. I have a chief investment officer who uh, used to be my my attorney. I brought him in-house a little over two years ago, and now he helps uh, raise all the capital. Um, I have an a acquisitions director. He reviews every single deal. I have a project management or uh, yeah, director of project management who oversees contractors and all that. I have a director of property management who oversees all of our in-house property management stuff. And I have... Um, uh, kind of like an asset manager who's kind of um, a liaison in between our, our boots on the ground, local partners, and my COO um, of my company. So I don't know what that is, like another six, seven people. And so we, we have a team of about like 10 in our core team. And then obviously there's a ton of brokers and wholesalers and agents and vendors sending deals to my acquisitions guy. There's a lot of uh, on-site property managers, leasing agents, maintenance staff that report to the project manager and property manager. There's um, 
third-party management companies, there's there's GCs and, and subcontractors and a lot of other people who are not employees um, that we work with. You know, obviously we got bookkeepers and all that kind of stuff as well. But um, it, it, dude, it started with one, right? Like it sounds complex, but it started with one. I heard an assistant first. And then, and then my assistant actually became my asset manager. And then I had an, uh, an intern who came on and interned with me between his junior and senior year of college. And then he stayed on and became my director of acquisitions. And then I hired another assistant and she became our marketing director. And so it's just kind of like, uh, it's kind of parlayed into you hire one at a time as you continue to grow. Um, I remember sitting back and seeing people with these big teams, like how the hell do you do that? Well, dude, it's, you know, you eat an elephant by one bite at a time or whatever the hell that saying is. So uh, that's what we ended up doing, man. I just ended up hiring a person and hiring another person. And uh, I overhired and had to fire a bunch of people. And it was like, you know, you realize that um, your biggest expense is typically overhead and your biggest overhead expense is typically uh, staff. And so if they're not, if you're not managing them properly, if they're not performing, if they're not generating revenue, then you got to make some decisions on that. And that's what uh, uh, I wasn't good at doing. All fell on my lap and I had to let a lot of people go. And it's because I'm the one who screwed that up. But now we're good. Now we know how to measure performance. Now we know how to train people properly. Now we have a, a human resources consultant that comes in and meets with our team um, all throughout the year. And so it's... Uh, uh, and then each property, like I said, is kind of its own little silo. So if I buy one, two, three Main Street, we have an on-site manager, we have an on-site leasing agent, we might have two maintenance persons. And right. so each of it is is run kind of like as its own. I mean, there's probably 150 to 170 employees that we have total, but maybe more, 200 um, across all of our properties. But I don't see it like that. I see like the the core team, and then I have each property has its own staff. Right. Love it, man. And so as we end this out, let's say there's people that, you know, they want to, we'll go into where they can find you. But first, you know, they're like, well, I want to get started in this commercial space, this multifamily space. How do I go about finding those deals, right? Maybe I have some friends, you know, or some connections that have some money. But as you know, just as much as I do right now, we're in a very hot market. Everybody wants multifamily deals, right? Everybody's looking. So how do they go out there and find their first deal, even in a hot market? Yeah, man. I think the same ways that you find deals on the single family side, you can do that on the multifamily side. You can do direct mail, you can do outbound calls, you can do text message blasts, you can do voicemail drops, you can do uh, driving for dollars, you can go knock on doors, you can dial for dollars. Instead of calling for sale by owners, call for rent by owners and talk to the landlord and say, hey, man, I'm not interested in renting your apartment. I want to buy the whole thing. Do you have any interest in selling? Uh, one of the things you're going to see over the course of the next 12 months or so is people who have operations dialed in are in good shape, right? Like they don't need to sell. Or if, you, if you're going to buy that stuff, you're going to buy it for a premium. There's a lot of operators out there who are not very good at operating and they're having a hell of a time collecting rents with all the COVID uh, rent restrictions and eviction moratoriums and stuff that are going on right now. And um, I think they're going to be hurting pretty bad over the course of the next six, 12 months. And so I think you're going to see some opportunities there. And, uh, I would be looking for, for things that have transacted in the past couple of years, uh, to newer operators who are trying to be the next guru and, um, uh, aren't very good. Like, like, dude, a lot of people think, Oh, all I got to do is go find the deal and raise the money for it. And I own a bunch of apartment buildings, dude. That's where the work begins. Right. right. The work begins once you close. Right? Yeah. End right. there. Yeah. Now you, now you got to keep the property. 
Now you got to operate it. Now you got to renovate it. Now you got to lease it up. Now you got to make sure the tenants don't leave and, you know, uh, uh, create some sort of ban against you of uh, not wanting to pay rent or anything. Like, dude, there's a lot of moving parts on the operational side that people just totally sweep under the rug because uh, it's not the sexy stuff. No, I agree. I had a, actually one of my friends, Mike, um, he was on here talking about asset management. You know, I was talking about like, one of his jobs at the company he's at is just making sure those assets are performing like they should. And mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's a lot of areas um, that people don't talk about. So I love it, man. Thanks for pouring out this value, dude. I know we've been going for a little while now, but you just coming on here, sharing your heart and sharing how you got into the commercial space is going to help so many. Where can people find you at? Are you on social media? What's that look like? Yeah, man. Uh, Facebook, you know, Tim Bratz. Um, Instagram at Tim Brotz, TikTok at Tim. Brotz. I just got a TikTok account, right? So like, <laughs> working on that now. Um, uh, you know, LinkedIn. I mean, I'm most I'm most active on on Facebook and Instagram though. So hit me up on there. I'm always trying to put out value. I'm always doing Facebook lives. I'm always uh, putting some posts out and trying to help people out with the uh, you know their real estate, with their business, with their lives, and um, everything else that comes in between. So uh, yeah, if if you got anything you guys want to chat, hit me up. I, I answer all my own messages and stuff. So don't, don't hesitate to reach out. And, um, yeah, man, really appreciate having me, bud. Thank you. Anytime, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on guys. If you liked what Tim was talking about, if you liked his content, listen, go up and follow him. Um, just follow his journey. Like he said, he documents almost everything he does in his business. So go on there and you can keep up. And one of the ways I found out that you can find the fastest growth is by staying plugged into people like Tim, being plugged in and um, you know using their journey as your motivation, right? And so a lot of times people compare their journeys to other people. I'm not saying compare them, but use it as motivation. Go out there and do what you dream of doing, especially if it's in the commercial space, be following Tim. Guys, and like always, if you like today's show, give our podcast a subscribe or give it a comment below, review it. Let us know how you liked it so we can go on to continue making more episodes for you. We do these every Tuesday. Um, We stream them on Mondays and then release them on Tuesday for you all. So um, another announcement real quick, we're going to be doing a simplified investing real estate giveaway course. Um, We're going to have this whole course of like eight plus hours of how you can get into real estate investing. And we're going to be giving that away very soon. Stay tuned for details on that. But again, thanks, Tim, for coming on. We'll close this out. God bless you, brother. And I can't wait to see you hit that $1 billion mark. Appreciate it, Michael. Take care, buddy. Thank you. 